you want to bring it in or you want me? Go ahead. <laughs> you got it. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second part of our Justice League score episode. Last week, I was on here with Dr. Bill Robinson. Well, last week or several weeks ago, depending on how this episode gets put up. I was on with Dr. Bill Robinson. We covered two Justice League books and talked about our expectations for the movie, uh, talked about our experiences with the League. Neither of us had seen it at that time. I'm back again, uh, only this time Dr. Bill is off on assignment, and I'm here with Scott. I hate these movies, Gardner. <laughs> You've been waiting all day to say that, haven't you? Yeah, it occurred to me earlier. <laughs> So I can tell I, I can, without even asking Scott on the record, I can tell you he will not be seeing this movie, at least not anytime soon, that's for sure. Nope. <laughs> Just to clear something up, I don't hate the movies. Um I don't know, it, it it puts me in a weird position to actively at this point you know, when when the when the current batch of DC, whatever the hell they're calling these, the expanded universe or whatever they're calling it. Um, when they first started up, I, you know, it was it was a matter of being kind of kind of sad, you know, to to not be excited for them. Um, it's it's in, I'm in a weird place now where I I'm actively rooting against them, which is a little bit weird. But again, that's not from any sense of hate or anything. I still at my at my comic collecting core, I still consider myself a DC boy. You know, I'm I'm still, you know, I, I still have my loyalty. It's just I, I think that's why I root against these because I don't see it as proper DC. If you know what I mean, I'm uh, so I root against them only in the aspect of I want them to do them right. I, I had posted something on uh, on Facebook right around the time this movie was coming, you know, the Justice League movie was coming out. You know, a classic picture of uh, of uh, the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez depiction of of the Justice League from you know from the '80s. And I had just said, you know, as soon as they do it properly, I'll be first in line, and I and I stand by that. I will. It's just. I look at what they're putting out with this, and I, I just, I have no interest. To me, it's, it's still the same old problem. It's just too far removed from, from what I want. So, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about that. I'm gonna challenge that notion slightly. Uh, and I know you're not gonna, I know you're not gonna embrace what I'm saying, but I'm gonna challenge it anyway. Uh, you know, I, I saw the movie like close-minded or something. I think about these movies. Not, I think know? I think you've reached a point with these movies where you are not. It's close-minded is an unfair way to say it, but I think you've. I I don't think you have much rope to give them. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Okay. Uh, it's any anybody listening. If you really don't want to be spoiled, I'd say jump ahead about fifteen minutes or so. Because we're going to talk a little bit about what goes on in this movie, and 
you know, I, I don't know how long we're going to talk, but just be safe. Uh, it's, it's really no secret. Superman comes back in this movie. Mm-hmm. He he was killed in the last movie in the, in the Battle of Doomsday. And the manner in which he comes back in this movie, I think, is kind of, you know, a bunch of BS science. I really, you know, I, I was like, really? That's what you're doing? That said, when he comes back, he's awesome in this movie. Uh, it just, he, he comes for, he comes back, and they're a little concerned about what, you know, is he gonna be fully back. When he first comes back, he's all disoriented. Uh, and, and I liken it to somebody coming out of surgery or something, coming out of anesthesia, that they're not really there, they don't know what's going on. And he attacks the, the League, the members of the League that are in the movie. And there's a battle scene between him and the League. And it's, first of all, it's just a good fight scene in general. There's, there's a scene, and a lot of people have talked about it, and I, I just think you, you would think it was awesome if you saw it. They're all fighting, and the Flash is trying to quickly race around to come at a different angle. And while the Flash is running and they're showing him in super speed, you know, nothing else is moving. You know how they do that effect? Right. While that's going on, all of a sudden you see Superman's eyes shifting, following him, when nothing else is moving. And he just reaches out and grabs him. It's just an awesome scene. It's just so well done. I When I watch this movie... Again, I don't want to go too far into it because I want to do an Is It Yours. And I haven't heard anybody else make this comparison yet. So this this is just interesting to me. Is I started thinking about it afterwards. If somehow through some miracle you could turn back time and go back 35 years and have this script and have Christopher Reeve play the part, he could have done this and it would have seemed natural. And that's why I think you would like Superman in this movie. I don't know if you'd like the movie, but I do think you'd like Superman in it. What's he wearing? A brighter blue outfit than he wore in the previous one. It's still got no shorts. I don't like the no shorts. And I don't like the, the texture of, the, of the, the uniform either, to be honest with you. But it is brighter blue and it looks more like the Superman color should. As, and the red hmm. is also brighter. I I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think pretty much all of the Superman moments that make me say Christopher Reeve could have played this part are Joss Whedon's input into the movie when he took over for Snyder. Right. The this, the movie opens up before we get anything. There's a like a found footage thing of some kids, uh, you know, like some kids' phone footage where he's he's interviewing Superman for a podcast. And again, I could see Christopher Reeve playing the part exactly. And they start questioning him about the symbol. About how, you know, the, that it looks like an S, but in Kryptonian it means hope. And he starts explaining to him. And it's just really, I thought it was really well done. He explains to him that the S is like a flowing river. It's not supposed to be an S. It's supposed to be like water flowing and that it never stops and it always brings hope. And it's just like, it just really seems cool. The way he's talking to the kids and the kids are, you know, reacting to him. That's the way Superman is supposed to be as far as I'm concerned. It's not the, hey, we're afraid of him because he's so powerful. And I think this was an effort for them to try and stay in the same universe to say, all right, that aspect that that we saw in the other movies where they were afraid of him, that's the government. And that's, you know, people who were, uh, 
you know, maybe not necessarily trustworthy themselves. This is the way the kids in the world see him. And he was much better. And then there's scenes with him and Lois, and there's scenes with him and his mother, and they, they don't have that negative feeling. This is a hopeful Superman, and this is a Superman who comes in and saves the day. At the end of the movie, when they're fighting the main villain, and he's, you know, pretty much holding up to them and really not giving them much chance to beat him, Superman just comes in and pounds him. And it's just great. Then there's another scene where they go off to uh, to save, like, civilians in the area. And some of that stuff, some of the stuff with the civilians in the area is just kind of dumb. But the fact that they go off to save it, Flash and Superman go off to save them. So Flash finds a family in a car and is helping this family get away. And then all of a sudden he looks to the right, and Superman's helping, like, a building full of people get away. <laughs> it, it's just, there's so many things like that that are just so well done as far as from the Superman perspective. Uh, and then and then it ends, you know, they, you know, like the post-credit scenes, like in the Marvel movies, uh, the first post-credit scene is uh, Superman and Flash decide to do a race. And, and Superman's yeah. like ragging, ragging on him, too. Well, if I win, you have to buy everybody brunch. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it, it was just, it was not the same dour Superman that we've seen in the last two movies. And, you know, you know I, I did not dislike Man of Steel. I kind of liked Man of Steel, but I didn't... I did not like the way Jonathan Kent was shown in it, and I didn't care for the negative feel, to be totally honest. I definitely didn't like it in Batman v Superman. I, I think that movie was uh, pretty much a failure as far as I'm concerned. This movie is a little bit of a jumbled mess because of the different hands that went into it. I think narratively it doesn't really flow as well as it should. I think Steppenwolf isn't the kind of villain that you should have. And there's certain aspects of it that just don't totally make sense. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's a great movie, but I do think the way Superman was portrayed in it was, it really was Superman now. They finally, they finally found a voice where they have the real Superman in their movie. And I do think you'll like that. If and when you see it, I assume, I assume there's a chance you might give it a couple of minutes on, uh, when it's on home video and you're not actually paying out of pocket to see it. At least the Superman scenes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't really commit one way or the other. Not asking you to commit, just telling you, I think, I think you might find something you'll like. That's all I'm going to say. It's not. Okay. It's not the negative. You know the, the negative feel that it could be. I'm done. So if you if you had <laughs> tuned out because you were afraid of spoilers, you could tune back in. That was probably five minutes, not fifteen. But. So all of that said, you know, Bill and I talked a little bit in the last score episode about. You know, our first exposure to the Justice League. And what was yours? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I had not anticipated that question. Um, Don't we always do this in the score episodes? Yeah, yeah I guess we do. But I, I just, I, for whatever reason, I hadn't anticipated the question. Um, I mean, I know that they're very different things, but they're, they're kind of, you know, sort of kissing cousins as well. I, w I would say... 
you know, the, the Super Friends. I was a big fan of the Super Friends when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have really fond, if somewhat vague, memories of a, of a lot of the episodes. Although there are some that I remember with, with pretty good clarity and everything. So off the top of my head, um, I, I would assume it had to do with uh, the Super Friends and also just... Some of the imagery I remember being out there when I was a kid. You know, I was a huge fan of uh, of the Mego uh, super. You know, super. Uh, what were they called? It was like the world's greatest superheroes or something. Was the line of of action figure. You know, they were they were they were bigger than your action figures of today, but they were smaller than a GI Joe. But they were somewhere in between. You know, and they had the real cloth uniforms and all that. Um, I had tons of those when I was a kid, and uh, and I loved those. And I remember a lot of the imagery on there was of kind of you know what we think of as like the classic lineup of uh, of the Justice League. You know, so I know I had you know the the figures that would basically make up the Justice League. So you know, of course, Superman, Batman. Um, I don't. I never really had uh, the the Mego size Wonder Woman, but I did have a, a, a more like Barbie doll size Wonder Woman at one point. Um, Aquaman, Green Arrow. Um, I'm probably forgetting some other characters that were in there, but off the top of my head, I mean, I remember Justice League of America was you know obviously running uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, and I remember. I think the first issue I ever got, or at least the first one I ever had that I can distinctly remember being in my hands, there's one, it's somewhere in the early 100s, and it was one of the warriors from Quard. He's like standing on a mountain or something like that, and either lightning is striking him or he's making lightning strike something like that i'm trying to remember for some reason like number like like 108 or 113 or something like that stands out in my mind is the issue number i don't know if that's right i'm trying to look it up here real quick but i'm, I'm trying that's, to recall, so. that's kind of what i remember as as being one of my first issues and i, I couldn't even tell you shit that happened in that issue now um, but you know, I, I remember that one. I remember so, so, um, issue one twenty six. Take a look at that. Cover. Is it one twenty six? See if that's the one you told that, about. That could be it. It it seems like I might have had, even had uh, issues, you know, earlier than that, but I I really don't remember. But it wasn't. Re I didn't really. I didn't. I I definitely did not collect Justice League of America. It was one of those things where, yeah, this is the one. Yeah, 126. Yeah, I was right. You got the warrior. I think this is a warrior from Quard, so far as I remember. Yeah, weaponer, weaponer of Quard. That's what it was. He's throwing a lightning bolt at the side of a mountain and basically repelling uh, members of the Justice League. Um, I think there were even issues I had even earlier than that because I remember there was another one around, you know, again... A, a few issues after number 100 that was, uh, it had Two-Face, yeah, 120, the prior issue, 125, uh, with Two-Face. I, I had that one as a kid. 
I might have even had 124 because I, I remember the the Earth to Robin very briefly had uh, kind of a weird outfit where he had like Robin's mask, Robin's cape, although it was a serrated cape like Batman's, but then the whole rest of his outfit was essentially Batman's outfit, and it was a really weird look for him. And I think I may have first seen that in uh, in issue 124. So yeah, this I would say right around. Oh, you know what? I also remember uh, 118 and 119. So I'm thinking probably right around, uh, I think 118 might have been the earliest issue I had as a kid. So right around that time, I would get spotty issues. You know, just, this, this would have been when I was a really little kid. Because let's see, what, what year is 118? I'm guessing like 74, uh, 75. Okay, so yeah. So, and so it was actually on sale in 75. So let me see. I was seven. So yeah, just just really, uh, you know, had just probably learned to read within a couple of years of that. And, uh, you know, so you know it was a better... What's that? You know how to read? <laughs> well, yeah, I know how to look at the pictures. Extrapolate <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> what they might be saying. But just kind of, you know, th- this would be at a time when, you know, as a little kid, you just kind of grab something, you know, that looked interesting on the rack. You know, it had a really cool cover or whatever. And, you know, what was cooler than than all of these heroes together in the same book, particularly Superman and Batman, you know, in the same book. But I didn't collect it regularly. And a lot of that issue for me, the, a lot of the problem I had with Justice League for a long time was I was inevitably disappointed by the art inside because it seemed almost invariably whenever I would pick up an issue, it was always Dick Dillon. Now, not to slag Dick Dillon, you know, and not to speak ill of the dead, but the guy's art just never did it for me at all, even from, from a kid. And I always felt bad about that because looking back on it now, you know, a lot of these issues were written by some really good writers like uh, Elliot S. Megan and Jerry Conway and guys like that that I, I really respect. I really like their work. But I've always been more artwork inclined when it came when it comes to comics as opposed to uh, you know storytelling inclined. So if, if I couldn't get past the art then generally, you know, that's where they would lose me. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, despite some really great covers, a lot of these issues just, I, in my opinion, had really poor art. So I really wasn't, uh, you know, devoted in any way to Justice League. And it, I didn't really, you know, like sit up and, and take notice of Justice League, honestly, until issue 193 which just has to this day one of my absolute favorite comic covers and it's a it's a George Perez an early George Perez where the league is fighting the uh I think he was called the Tornado Tyrant if I'm not mistaken he was uh he was he had something to do with uh Red Tornado and 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 this storyline ended up revealing like the secret origin of the Red Tornado and I, that's I'll always hold that storyline up as one of my favorites because I think it's where I really learned about Red Tornado for the first time. I mean, I knew who the character 
was, I mean, I could point to him and go, hey, that's Red Tornado, but I probably couldn't tell you anything about him until I read that story as a kid. And that's an issue I actually bought right off the stands. And and I love that. And then from that point forward uh, to the end of the first series, I, I would keep a closer eye on Justice League. And there was a brief time where I actually, uh, you know, it was on my poll list and everything. So, um, you know, it really took Perez stepping in, um, you know, however briefly he was there and, and taking over the art chores to really make me uh, perk up and take notice of it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not that far off from you on that. I, first issue I got as a collector of Justice League was 149. And I only had sporadic issues before that. I had read some before I collected at all. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I wasn't tremendously into it. And Perez definitely was a boost to... <laughs> well, Perez is a boost to every book he knows. Right. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like Justice League is particularly unique on but he's and it, the the thing about Perez is just how amazing he is with teams. Yeah, other other artists just can't handle. I mean, he he would occasionally fall behind and work slowly, but just the detail he would put into stuff was incredible. Absolutely. Anyway, I don't think we have any Perez books on the slate for today. Nope. Uh, before we get to our books, I would like. To ask you to read one piece of email for us, and if you can go for me to read it, folder. okay. Yes, you have the email folder available. This isn't another "I hate Scott" email, is it? Eh, maybe a little bit. Oh, great! Not really that I hate Scott. Uh, Avengers mail. Okay, okay. all right. I'm the, in there. The bottom one, the one that says "Not spam," Avengers spotlight. <laughs> okay all right so uh all right we have one here called uh not spam avengers spotlight it says hello gentlemen it says i just finished listening to your cover of giant size avengers number three. Oh, you couldn't make that episode paul so sad yeah i, I said it's sad that i wasn't able to make that one <laughs> Says, I thought it was a good episode overall, but seemed to miss some bit of spark and magic that previous episodes contained. It reminded me of David Crusoe leaving NYPD Blue uh, to try to become a movie star. He was fine and popular as part of an ensemble cast, but just didn't have the presence to carry the ball all alone and take that next step to movie stardom, eventually slipping into obscurity. I would hate to see that happen to nice fellows such as yourself. Please try to find whatever it was that gave you the chemistry that you've had in the past and do whatever is necessary to keep that going. Overall, you guys gave it a good try, but just missing something. Best wishes, Saul Pataro. <laughs> hmm, that name sounds sounds familiar to me. I, I think Does we've it? gotten I think we've gotten email from him before. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell with me. I don't know. <laughs> so okay, we will uh, we will we will take that into consideration, Saul, and we will uh, we will try to find whatever that missing something is and uh, have it hunted down and shot. So, <laughs> 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 I have to tell you, when I'm not on an episode, I I really enjoy listening to you guys do it. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. But, oh, uh, you, you listen to the ones that you're not on? 
I of course I do. Oh, Every okay. second. Yeah, 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 I do, I, yeah, I do that too. But uh, but I do sit there saying, "Hey, but what about me? <laughs> I want to be there. I want to be in this conversation. <laughs> I, it, I hate being left out of things. I know the feeling. I, re- I really do. So you know. So that was uh, whatever. Apparently, Saul thinks highly of my contribution to the show. Uh, at least we don't cover your all-time favorite books when you're not here. Without you. Or do we? We cover books when you're not here. <laughs> you know, If you're not here enough, sometimes some of them are going to fall on your favorite list. I'm sure that there's a lot of books we've covered that you think are crap. But Yeah, those you we don't, cover when I'm but, here, though. But you don't care about them, so you just <laughs> ignore them. But when we cover one that you really like, then you feel bad. And, and I would imagine you, you'll be, you know, you will be disappointed that we covered the JLA issues in the previous score episode that we did, because one of those was a George Perez issue, and we gushed over the artwork. And the other one was the Great Switcheroo, which is just kind of cool, because it's the basis for uh, Identity Crisis. Right. So I, I think you would have had some, some real input into those, and uh, your, your, the lack of your presence was felt. Aww. Which, uh, which Perez issue was it? It was issue 194. I'm trying to remember for, for certain. Uh, it, it was a, a standalone issue with the, the... There was like a tarot deck. Yeah. That and is... The, the, uh, the story was okay. The story was decent, but the artwork was... It was it was Perez at the, at the height of his game. Right. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we both gave it A pluses on the artwork. Yeah, his work on uh, on Justice League was just, it, it was something else. It really was. Well, I, I mean, what, is he doing anything now? I haven't seen anything with him in quite some, quite some time. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I really don't keep up with, with modern comics at all. and uh, Neither do I, but if Perez were doing a book, it would make me inclined to maybe seek one out. You know? I had. Uh, Same I, way I, I, I'm, tempt- I'm tempted not to say anything because I don't want to get. I definitely don't want to get political in this episode. But let me just. I'll, I'll put it this way. He he. You know, separating the the man from his work because I I'm still a George Perez fan as far as the work goes. Um, but he posted some some really hateful things uh, not long ago on his on his personal. Uh, social media feed that uh that actually I, I hate to say it but it caused me to um unfollow him you know to unfriend him and unfollow I just i, I really was shocked uh yeah, at he, some of the he things got a little, that he, little overly zealous right blaming but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that you know looking back on on his past works I, i'm st- i still remain a huge fan i i still consider him you know one of the all-time greats and as it's funny too, you know, as time goes by, he may end up being the great because it occurs to me that he's won at least so far in his career. Uh, you know, Lord only knows how much you know is left in him. But at this point in his career, I don't see that decline that you often see, you, you almost inevitably see 
from any of the other greats, you know, whether it be, you know, Kirby or, or John Byrne or, you know, so we've talked about so many of these over the years, you know, where there was somebody that was a great, but then if you look at the stuff like toward the end of their career or toward the end of their life, you look at it and go, yeah, it just wasn't as great. You know, even like Neil Adams, I love, I freaking love Neil Adams. But, you know, again, there's an example where you can look at his modern day stuff and go, yeah, it just ain't, it ain't doing it for me anymore. But I don't get that with Perez. I mean, has he ever even had a serious slump? Not that I've seen. I, uh, I just don't see him putting out any real work right now. But, but what you know, the the, work, yeah, the last I, thing I remember seeing uh, on on any kind of consistent basis when it was when he was doing those uh, Brave and Bold, uh, like the revival on that, which has got right. to be close to fifteen years ago now. Wow, has it been? Yeah, I guess you're right. It probably has been about that long. Yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't know. But what that's the last steady on. work I remember from him. But you know, with with some of these guys too, when they get older like that, a lot of times they'll they'll switch gears and then they'll just live off of like commissions and uh, and covers and shit like that. So he might have switched to that route. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm you know, not I sure he still don't does know. commissions, but you know, I, I also uh, you know, I I, I think uh, I think George Perez commissions are like priced beyond my means. Right. But what I mean, though, is, I mean, if, if he can make a, as good or maybe even better a living doing that, then maybe that's why we're not seeing him doing a regular book if, he, if he's truly not. I don't know. I mean, I just I don't keep up with with modern comics anymore. So, I mean, he, he shit, he could be doing Superman for all I know. And I have no idea because I don't keep up, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, no that was something since doing. I remember he was he when with the new 52, he did Superman for a while. Right. So that's the most recent thing that, that I can think of, because that that was after that Brave and the Bold series, right? But I can't think of anything since then, unless you jog another memory. For me. <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, I, we, I honestly... should, we should uh, we should try and cover a couple of issues here. Sure. So you want to go first or second? Ah, uh, I'll go ahead and jump in first if you want. All right. Since since you you you. You've been le- on, on less. You should do your book. Let's see if we get to mine. <laughs> All right. So, give me just a moment to pull up uh, where I have the uh, synopsis here. So, for my book, um, I initially thought about doing the book that I was talking about before the uh, JLA number. Uh, what I say it was one ninety three. I thought a lot about doing that particular issue, but. Um, in all honesty, I couldn't remember if I had ever covered that one on a podcast before, and something kept tickling my brain saying that, you know, you've already covered this. I don't honestly think, though, that I did. I think the reason I thought I did was because that issue also contains the uh, the insert story, the, the special preview, whatever they called it, for um, the All-Star Squadron. It's kind of the All-Star Squadron issue zero, if you will, uh, was in the middle of that uh, issue of Justice League. And I know that Michael Bailey and I covered that story on Tales of the JSA. So I might be thinking I talked about the Justice League story because we talked about the JSA story 
or you know, the all-star story in that same issue. I'm not sure. But anyway, I decided I wanted to, to choose something different, another favorite of mine um, of Justice League. Now, this one here, I don't remember exactly when I discovered this issue. I think this might have been an issue I got when I bought a collection from somebody when I was uh, just starting out collecting comics. And I know that this was an issue that uh, I read, I loved, and it would be years before I would get the conclusion to the story. This is actually a two-part story. I'm just going to cover the first part of this. So this is Justice League of America, first series, number 189. This is uh, dated as the April 1981 issue. Uh, cover credits is uh, Brian Boland, and I think he's the only uh, artist credited with the cover. It is a fantastic cover of Starro the Conqueror, who is literally a giant starfish with a target for, uh, for an eye right in the center of him. Uh, he's up on top of the Empire State Building and spraying out little starros, little starfish that are flying magically out of his, uh, I don't know, arms, I guess you would call it, uh, and spraying all over the place. And you've got members of the Justice League flying to attack him, and the little starros are, are spraying all over, and some of them are sticking, like you've got a couple of them sticking to Wonder Woman's... Uh, magic bracelets and then you've got uh green lantern actually has one on his face and one on his power ring superman has one on his face superman is large and in charge in the foreground with one of these uh little starros stuck on his face and he's trying to claw it off and it's just a great creepy cover you've got lightning strikes and a really eerie sky behind and it just says return of the starfish conqueror only only star starros uh Looks like he could use a thigh master. Right, he's a beefy starfish, isn't he? <laughs> so, for a change, the uh, the name of the story on the cover is actually the name of the story in the interior. It is actually Return of the Starfish Conqueror. Uh, now, the credits on this one, the uh, editor and, and plotter of the story is Len Wein. The plotter and scripter is Jerry Conway. Penciler on this, Rich buckler fantastic pencils in this issue uh the inker is frank uh, mclaughlin letter was ben oda and the colorist is gene d'angelo now i am doing something that i don't often do i usually like to write my own synopses for this but in the interest of being kind of pressed for time and the interest of brevity i am actually stealing the synopsis out of the uh, official Justice League of America index. If you remember these great indexes that, um, who was it that put these out a while ago? ICG put these out um, back in the 80s or 90s. I think this was the, the yeah, this was in the 80s. Um, these are really great. If you ever get a chance to pick them up, I see these things in the 50 cent bins all the time and they are really worth picking up. Uh, they're very well researched. Um, by the way, let's do a quick roll call here. So roll call for the Justice League of America. We've got Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Black Canary, Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Hawk Girl, and newly joined of the team, Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. So 
our synopsis on this is very brief, and we'll try to fill in a little bit more uh, as we talk about the issue. Synopsis, uh, again, from the official Justice League of America Index, reads as such. His remains, fished out of Long Island Sound by young Terry Watson following events in Adventure Comics number 451, Starro slowly regains his former statue, or stature rather, and powers. Transported to a Central Park lake by a mind-controlled Terry and his family, the starfish villain has an accidental encounter with Red Tornado and Wonder Woman, which alerts the other JLA heroes to his presence. In the subsequent battle, Starro is able to create dozens of small duplicates of himself which attach themselves to his victims, including Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Red Tornado, Black Canary, and Firestorm, putting them under his control. By the time the remaining Justice League members and the U.S. Navy arrive on the scene, the entire island of Manhattan is under Starro's mental sway. And that's the conclusion of the synopsis. What I like to point out is in the actual story itself, um, it's a it's a great parallel with the Avengers movie because at the end of the issue, you've got uh, this aircraft, this U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, is ten miles south of Long Island and this bird returns and reports to Hawkman of what the situation is. And Hawkman tells the, uh, the Naval general of the situation that essentially they have lost New York to Starro, that everyone on the Island is mind controlled by the starfish conqueror. And the, the last panel is the general saying, uh, if the uh, Starro infection has spread the way you describe, we may have no choice but to destroy New York. So they're wanting to nuke New York, just like in the Avengers movie. And I'll tell you, between the arts, between the creepy plot with uh, you know these, these mind-controlling starfish and the fact that uh, Superman is, you know, susceptible and does fall under the sway of Starro, you know, as well as these others, you know, real heavy hitters like Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. And then at the end of the story, they might nuke the city and all this. As a kid, damn, did I thrill to this. I thought this was awesome. Plus, you know, again, you know, you've got some great imagery here of Starro doing the King Kong thing. He actually ascends to the top of the Empire State Building to spray the city with these starfish that take everybody over so some really you know just beautiful art some great imagery a really cool threat i mean i look at this now and it's it's damn silly it's a giant starfish but as a kid i didn't think it was silly as a kid i thought wow this is this is creepy this is awesome you know and I still do see it as awesome, even though, yeah, it's it's pretty silly. He's a giant starfish. But they make him a legit threat in this story, and uh, he's, he's just cool. And I really like this one. I like the interplay um, we get with the characters. Everybody's really well written. Everybody's, uh, you know, nicely characterized. Just about everybody gets a little moment uh, you know, to have some character building and some character interaction, including Superman, who, who often 
didn't really get a whole lot of character beats in Justice League. They, they would often kind of... He was there, and they'd have to figure out the latest kryptonite thing to take him off the table, essentially. And uh, they don't do any of that in this story. I mean, he's he actually gets a great little character-building moment with Green Lantern that's pretty cool. And then when they go into the fight, you know, surprise, he's actually susceptible to being taken over just like everybody else is. And he gets taken over. So great issue i really like this one and uh i just you know, i just i wish there had been more issues like this when i was a kid uh wanting to to collect and like justice league it's just unfortunately there just weren't enough issues like this i think i think there were i mean this i think this one's a very good one so don't don't get me wrong I mean, it's not that they were all very good but I, I think if you, if you go through the run, there, there were more that were of this level of quality than you probably realized at the time. Um, it is damn silly <laughs> to have a giant starfish. But I always gave this a little bit extra slack based on the fact that Starro was the first villain they faced. Right. Back in Brave and the Bold, whatever it was, 21? 28, I think. 28? 20, yeah, that sounds right. Um... That always made me feel like, well, you know, they brought back an old villain, so it's fine. So, so I didn't really feel the need to, to criticize the villain. Uh, it, it is a little... I just look at a... There's a page 11 at the top. The way the way Starro's coming out of the water, he, he kind of looks like he's got a load in his pants. <laughs> it's just... You know, it, 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 there's definitely some humor involved, and you got to take some of the stuff with a grain of salt. But if you can kind of just say, "Okay, I'm gonna suspend my 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 criticism enough to accept that there could be this giant sentient starfish who is capable of taking over people with its little mini starfish that it's shooting out of its arms." If we can, if we can accept that as a premise, and that's granted, it's a little, it's pushing it a little bit. The rest of it just kind of flows along with it, and it's okay. Um, the story, otherwise, is done on a fairly serious basis. It's not done to be silly, and you know, again, it just requires you to accept that premise. But that's kind of always the way with superhero stuff, in my opinion. That. Uh, you know, you, you have to accept that the world exists with these characters. And some of them are somewhat silly. But once you get by that, you know, then the story needs to be well written. Uh, there's a, a few things in this that I got a kick out of. You know, first thing opening right up with the, uh, you know, Black Canary training Firestorm. Now, Firestorm is a character who just has off the charts power. Right. And yet she's kind of humbling him. Because she sets up an obstacle course, and rather than just go through it, he cheats and changes the uh, he changes the course as he goes along so that he can make it through. And and he's like, well, but if I can get through it, you know, what's the difference? How I do it? And you know, she's she's she calls him on it immediately, saying, you know, well, if you know, if you're willing to just stay at the level you're at, fine. If you don't want to get better, and then he says, you know. Nobody could do this. It's too tough for anyone. And she says, oh, I run it every day. So here she is with effectively no superpowers that are going to help her get through this. And she does it every day. 
and you know him with all his power he has to cheat to get through it so it gives him motivation to go forward so i thought that was kind of a cool character moment when starro takes over the family there's a, a cool flashback scene to that where they show them kind of nursing him to help and the mom is feeding him right a little comical looking in its own way again drawn seriously but it's just you know it looks like a combination of a serious image and something out of Spongebob <laughs> you're right <laughs> so I you know it, it's like let me take this seriously enough to read the story but let me not take it so seriously that I forget that it's a giant starfish and it's kind of fun I think that's the way to read this thing and like you said, he's a, he's a credible threat because he's able to take down Superman. I mean, you know, that's, that's yep. one of the, one of the things people always say is a problem with writing Superman is having you know threats that are serious enough to to take him out, and this one does. So that you know that's saying something. And like you say, the end of it with we're going to have to destroy New York. It's pretty cool. I didn't know Hawkman could talk to birds. I'm not sure he can. Well, apparently he's communicating with them somehow. Um, well, we need uh, we need Luke, Jack, and Eddie to write in and uh, and set us straight on this. But I, I, I mean, I don't know this for sure. But this is one of those ones where I, I kind of wondered if it was just he he has the power here because they need him to, you know? Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. He's not Aquaman, right? You know, it's not a fish. Yeah, I was. I was not, yeah, I, I'm with you. I was not aware that this was a power that he had because I don't remember, I mean, I'm not very steeped or versed in, in Hawkman, but I don't remember him, I can't remember another instance where he ever talked to birds. Not in anything I've read, and I'm, I'm like you. I like the character of Hawkman, but I haven't read that much of it. So this, it's very possible. I My guess would be that they occasionally did that, but it's kind of something that get swept under the rug. Right. I, I'm, I'm betting this isn't the only time that it was done. It's just something I was totally unfamiliar with. Though. Right. Anyway. Uh, the artwork, as you mentioned, is, is particularly good. This is this is some, some good Rich Buckler. It's the action sequences look really good. I'm not crazy about the, the page page four in the house where the kid... Uh, Kid bring home, brings home the starfish. There's something about that page that just feels like it's missing something. I don't know if it's the lack of background in that middle right panel. Yeah. But something about it just the, the page on a whole just doesn't sit right. So, and I, I'm having a tough time knowing exactly why. It's it's like there's not as much detail or maybe not as much time given with that particular page or something. Story just doesn't seem to. I don't know. It's hard to, but, but every other page in the book, I, I pretty much am happy with. I think Buckler does a really nice job. Who inked him in this? Frank McLaughlin. Yeah, he's. What, I mean, I'm not totally well uh, versed on McLaughlin, but from what I remember, he's, yeah, he's, he's one of these guys who just always does a nice thing job. Right. right. I really like how uh, how Red Tornado looks. I think he looks fantastic. He's a character I've always liked, just simply based on his look. I you know I don't I don't think he's a particularly great 
character. I don't really find much, you know, in in, in his you know in his character or in his story or anything that that really grabs me. But just visually, I always thought he was a great looking character. You know, he just has a great look. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's his character is, you know, pretty much the stereotypical. You know, he's Pinocchio. He wants to be a real boy, right? Uh, and, and you know, they they did it in an interesting way, not totally uh, by the numbers, because you had uh, what was the name of the uh, woman he's dating, Kathy Sutton, I think. Yeah. Her name. And, and yeah, and then there's the, the little girl, the little. Uh, I don't remember what country she's from. Some girl that he saved, right? Uh, you know, and, and he's having fun with her. So I think to have him be accepted by you know these open, open and close quotations, ordinary people, uh, you know, gives him a different element. He's not just on the outside looking in. He's actually been accepted. You know, he has a family now, and I think that's kind of cool. You know, they they. They did some of that with the vision with Scarlet Witch, but he was being persecuted by the, you know, from out from the general public in it, and you know, eventually they they did away with that vision. They always seemed to kind of make him, you know, he was more human, he was less human, he's more human, he's less human. As far as his personality went, they never seemed to to land in one spot. Whereas the Red Tornado seemed more consistent. There wasn't that angst of oh, I have no emotion, I'm a machine. You know, he he was a machine and he understood that but he lived his life which I always thought you know, made him a little different so, whatever uh, happened with uh, with uh, Kathy Sutton and the little girl and all that Did... no I, I don't even know what happened with her tornado <laughs> so, <laughs> I have no idea where he is right now in the DC continuity yeah I, I don't know I've, I know I've read you know, quote unquote modern stories with him, but I couldn't tell you what the what the hell happened. I don't remember now. I remember for a time he was an air elemental or something, whatever that even means. But where where that whole thing went, I don't remember. Because right after Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing was revealed to be the the Earth elemental, DC kind of went crazy with the whole elementals thing, and then. You know, you had uh, Firestorm was the whatever fire elemental or nuclear elemental or some shit. And then Red Tornado was the air one. And it it just got kind of convoluted and kind of silly, I thought, after that. And, yeah, I kind of lost track of him. But I remember that there there was a new Justice League series. You know, new as in, you know, it started with number one in, what was it, like, 2006 or something like that and like the first I think the first major story arc was a red tornado arc if I'm not mistaken it had like the tornado twins I think they were called which were like like siblings of his created around the same time but they were evil or something I I, I can only remember bits and pieces of that storyline I remember it being halfway decent but I don't remember where it where it went and exactly what happened with it or where he wound up at the end of it and I come to think of it I think Kathy Sutton might have been in that story too I just don't remember all the details you know it what I'm talking about fami- it sounds vaguely familiar I, I think I may have read some of that when it first came out but I'm getting old and I forget these things <laughs> right yeah me too 
Well, it was, yeah, I, you think know, I think that was the first, the first, uh, you know, they had the, the run where they called it JLA. Right. You know, that was the Grant Morrison run. And then when that ended, I'm, I think this is, you're talking about the run that started just after that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that, I think that was a, a Brad Meltzer storyline, if I remember. Let's see. I'm looking it up here. Damn, me with the memory. 2006. I was right. Yeah, you're right. Brad Meltzer, Ed, Ed Benes was the artist on that. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that it was either the first arc or the first, you know, w within the first you know year or so, there was a story with, uh, yeah, here you go, issue two. One of the variant covers was, uh, was Red Tornado. It says, Tale of the Twister. So yeah, it was something like the the Twister Twins or Tornado Twins or something like that, and it was a whole story and uh, and yeah, it was it was Red Tornado centric. I just don't remember for the life of me where the hell it went. But, yeah, I don't remember how it, how it ended up. Yeah, I, I I don't recall now. But yeah, that was that was a decent little book when it when it started up. I don't know how long I stuck with it, but. Uh, I tend to I tend to like Brad Meltzer, although I come to think of it, isn't he the one that wrote Identity Crisis? And I didn't I really didn't care for that very much. But uh, he did. Yeah, he I did thought that was a good story. I just don't like you know, like with a lot of stories of that ilk, I don't like where it brought us after it was done. Right, right. But but just as a standalone read, I thought it was very entertaining. I, you know, yeah, they he did, did some the, things with some characters. I didn't really want, you know, I wouldn't have wanted them to kill Sue Gibney. I wouldn't have wanted them to make Gene Loring a psychopath. You know, there's things in there that, that right. I'm thrilled about that happened. But, you know, like I said, as, as a standalone story, I thought it was pretty entertaining. That's one of those type of stories I'd probably like it a lot better if it was in Elseworlds, you know? But by being both really dark and kind of twisted and then also affecting the changes as you say you know deaths of characters and you know radical changes in characters and things like that and, and actually being in continuity yeah I didn't I, it makes me uncomfortable and, and what I but, don't uh, like too is that stuff like that is in continuity it affects major major changes between the relationships between the, of the characters and then a year from now it's as if it never happened because the characters are all back to being buddy buddy, right? You know, I mean, there was there was some serious stuff going on there with Batman having some, you know, some serious problems with, with, you know, finding out about the mind wipes because he objected to it, so they wiped his mind. Right. That's the kind of thing that if that, you know, if this were real, you know, and you know, you always got to go on that premise. If this were real and that happened to you. You would never forgive and or trust. Yeah, exactly. How do you come back? Yeah, exactly. How do you Ever. come back to being a team from that? You know. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it's that fine line you got to walk between having some significant stuff happen, but not changing the status quo. And it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's the problem I have with these things: is you're changing the status quo, and then you're just going to pretend it never happened. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Yeah, it turns out. Uh, were we talking about uh, Melter? He did the yeah. he did the first year on that JLA title, uh, Justice League title, and then let me see who the hell took I over. Read, after I that. read one of his prose novels. I can't remember which one it was. 
Any good? I think, which, whichever one was his biggest one. I don't remember what it, what it was. I'm going to I'll look it up as we're talking. But, uh, is he the guy that's yeah, got I, the I remember, history? I remember liking it. He, he is he the one that's got the mystery show that's on now? Like a it's like America's unsolved mysteries or some shit like that. Is he the guy? You know what I'm talking about? There's a there's a cable show that's out there. It's it's about it's kind of like. Did you ever see uh, either of the the Nick Cage, um, um, National Treasure movies? I, you know, well, I'm I talking about the first one. We, we did a we did an Is It Yours about the first one. Oh, did you? Yes. For National Treasure. Yeah, with Alan and Emily Littleton. Oh damn! I got to listen to that. Is that out? I believe it is. <laughs> I got to remember. I I lose track of what's on my recorded list. And oh, I don't know if I've heard that. List. But I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's been out for, uh, for a month or two. But there's a. Uh, I don't know if it's still coming out. But there was a cable show that was kind of like that. It was like different, like like American mysteries, you know, of of that ilk. And I'm pretty sure he was the the guy. You know, the the name. It was like. You know, whoever the the person was, whether it was him or not, was like, you know, Joe Blows, you know, American Mysteries, or whatever the name of the show was. Let me see if I can find, because that's going to make me nuts now, whether that was... And and the National Treasure is about, still about two months away from being posted, actually. Oh, okay. I record so Lost far in history, advance on some it. of those episodes that I, I lose track of it. Yeah, well, yeah, here it is. Brad Meltzer's Lost History. Yeah, he, he had an episode about the... The Ground Zero flag, what happened to the Ground Zero flag, and uh, there's some other ones. I know I've watched the show once or twice. It was it was actually a pretty decent little show. I had one on uh, Missing Moon Rocks, another one on, uh, says here, Lee Harvey Oswald's Ring, Moon Landing Tapes. Yeah, some interesting, I, I know I've seen an episode or two, and it was a decent little show. He's, uh, he's not a pretty man. <laughs> picture of him here. He he looks like a he looks like a creepy, like a like a very intense Lex Luthor with glasses essentially. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link if you want to take a look and scare yourself just before you're going to bed. Yeah, that'll be bad. <laughs> <laughs> here you go. Yeah. Let this wake you up in the middle of the night. And I read the Book of Fate by him, which I seem to remember. I only vaguely remember reading it, but I seem to remember being an entertained by it. Hmm. I was back in the days when I, when I was able to, uh, to actually spend some time reading things. Oh, he is uh, kind of Lex Luthor-like in this. Yeah. In this picture, he's almost like a smallish Lex Luthor. Yeah. See, I always I thought he was a prolific me, uh, comics writer, but there's not much on Mike's Amazing World accredited to him. There's a handful of Green Arrow issues. There's the Identity Crisis series. Uh, a couple Looks like of Justice League and Buffy the Vampire. Stuff. Yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Huh? It's funny. How did he get to become such a big name when with such a small body of work? Was it mostly off the uh, Identity Crisis I thing? I think I think it was off his uh, his prose novels. Ah. Uh -huh. So we should get back to uh, where Justice League book though. Yeah. We, we've tangented off of this one. Ah, it was a good tangent uh, though. 
Yeah, yes it was. You want to review it? You want to rate it rather? Yeah, let's uh, let's give this thing a rating here. Let me pull it back up as I'm uh, about to talk about it. So, uh, cover on this one, I love, love, love the cover. Um, I really have very few issues with the cover other than Wonder Woman's angle makes her look like her ass is really big, but other than that, uh, it's pretty good. I'm not the biggest Brian Bolin fan in the world. I, I find him very hit and miss, but I like this cover, and I really like... Uh, I'm pretty sure he did the cover to uh, to the conclusion as well. Let me take a quick look. Yeah, yeah, he did. Which which, which is what... You know, I'm, I'm going to interrupt him. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the cover to the next one is what makes me... Which is what keeps me from giving this one an A. Really? Because the cover to the next one is better than this one. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I really like the, the one on the next one. So, the so I'm, I'm not going to rate this one as high as I would rate that one <laughs> if I was rating it. And that one I'd give an A. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I do think the, the, the other one is uh, is better. Um, I think on this one, it, it's, it's really high, though. I think we're going to give this one an A- just because of... Uh, the angles of a couple of the heroes. Plus, I think there could be more of the heroes uh, on here. Um, but overall, I really do like this cover. I think it's a really cool cover. Uh, I like it quite a bit. So I'm going to go A- minus on the cover. Um, interior art is really, really high. Um, I'm not crazy about Frank McLaughlin as an inker. Some of the inking is really, really solid. I love page two, but then, as you say, you turn to page four, and it's there's something missing here. That panel you pointed out before is is borderline Vince Coletta to me. You know, in in the mm -hmm. lack of of detail and just the lack of anything exciting or dynamic. So. I think some of the art shortcomings, I honestly, I think it falls on the inker with this. I think the inks are inconsistent. But when it works, it works. Uh, it's just, I love the layout of it. I, I think, uh, I think um, Buckler, <clears throat> pardon me, is really bringing some fantastic stuff to this issue. Uh, I really like how the characters look. So art-wise... Uh, I think art-wise, I'm also going to go an A- minus on this. There, there's definitely some room for improvement, um, but I don't think any of what I'm seeing as shortcomings in the art, I don't think any of them fall at Buckler's feet. I honestly think it falls at the at the feet of the inker on this one. So, you know, re-inked or paired with a different inker, I, I think that this one is, uh, you know, has real potential for A+, plus, uh, you know, an A-plus score, because it's, it's beautiful. And this is why this story has always stood out to me from when I was a kid. Is just this was such a departure from the type of art you would see in Justice League around this time. You know, other than like when uh, when Perez came in, I, I just I always associated Justice League of America with very bland and and uninspired art. But this. This is the the complete object of that. This is beautiful and uh, and just so dynamic. There's I mean there's just shot after really cool shot in this issue, and uh, I, I just wish more of them had been like you know when I said before that I wish more issues had been like this. I mean art wise, I mean for all I know there's some really fantastic stories in a lot of these Justice League issues. 
I'm just not aware of them because I just can't get past some of the, the art in a lot of those issues. So, I mean, there might be some great stories waiting there for me to read. I just, I never discovered them because I didn't like the, you know, the illustrations. This issue, I, I love the illustrations. I think it's great. Um, Story-wise, I mean, as you say, if you can get over the fact that it's a goofy giant starfish is their enemy, it's a damn good story because it's it's got a real punch to it, a real sense of threat to it. I mean, if, if you can read it without laughing at it, uh, it, it's a good, you know, alien conqueror story. And I give it major props for the fact of it's one of the few stories I can remember of the Justice League from around this time where they didn't take Superman off the table by using magic or kryptonite. In this one, he's taken off the table simply by the fact that the enemy's stronger than he is. And that just didn't happen very often. And I love that in this. Superman flies up there. His uh, heat vision is completely ineffectual. I'm not exactly sure how that works because this is a starfish. You would think that Superman's heat vision would, would make it wither to nothing, but uh, you know, you've got a great shot of, of Starro standing atop the spire of the Empire State Building, and Superman is giving it, you know, it looks like a full blast, and it has no effect. And then Starro just turns around and uses uh, what he calls an atomic blast and takes Superman out and then snaps a, a, you know, slaps a starfish on his face and takes him over. And that's it. Superman's taken right off the table. And I love that. I think that's great. I think that's really cool. And that happens right at the end of the story. So again, for me, as a huge Superman fan, as a kid, that was one of those holy shit moments that not only Superman taken out, but now he's he's turned to the other side. He's essentially a zombie. And it doesn't get scarier than Superman's the bad guy to me. I love stories like that, you know? And uh, th I just think this is one of the best. And then at the end of the story, the, the team you're left with that potentially has to try to not only save New York, but save their friends, these are the, the kind of the... I don't want to say the B-listers of the Justice League, but they're the, the they're not the powerful members. You've got Batman, you've got Aquaman, Elongated Man, you've got the Hawks. Really, about the only like powerful one would be the Flash, and the Flash at this time really wasn't that powerful yet because he could run fast, he could do things at super speed, but he didn't have all those you know speed force powers and all that other shit that you know Flashes have today. And Batman at this time wasn't quite that, you know, the master planner, you know, working 12 steps ahead of everybody. He was a he was a regular guy in a in a suit that had a lot of you know gadgets and tricks up his sleeve, but he was not able to stand toe to toe with, you know, an enraged zombified Superman, for example. So there's a real sense of threat here. You know, how are the ordinary guys, so to speak, of the Justice League going to deal with you know zombified superman and wonder woman and green lantern you know the real heavy hail you know, red tornado and firestorm how are they going to deal with that and save new york and overcome starro and spoilers they do and it's a pretty damn good story so i hope uh, i hope i've been able to intrigue the listening audience enough to want to 
seek this out and uh, and also read the uh, conclusion to the story because it's it's a good one. It's a lot of fun. It's a it, I think it's a really good story. Just noticing the I think the ink's different in the second one. Who is this? Oh, it is. Yeah, Bob Smith. Yeah, Bob Smith and uh, Larry Malstead did the inks in the conclusion, and I think I like these inks better. Yeah, it's a good looking one. Good story. Oh, I'm sorry. Overall grade. Um, what did I say for the story? Did I give the story a grade? You didn't actually give a grade. Either. I'm gonna. Talked about it, but you didn't yeah, I don't think I did. I'm going to say. Hell, I think I'm going to give it an A+. I really like this. This one has always stood out in my memory as a, as a really good issue of Justice League. So I think I'm going to give it an A+. So I'll give the overall uh, the overall issue an A. I think it's an A book. Uh, I think the cover is really solid. I like the fact that it's not it's non-traditional. Right. It's not giving you just the, you know, everybody standing front and center. It's, it's giving you an interesting angle. I don't think Wonder Woman's butt looks that big, but it's a, a view of things that maybe uh, would get us fired from a job if we were uh, working today. Does she have today's show? Does she have hairy pits, uh, or is that just the shadow? I, I think that's a shadow. Okay, but I like I, I like the, the non conventional angle of it. I I I do like Brian Bowen's art. I think for the most part, uh, I haven't seen much of it that I didn't think highly of. So. It's, it's as I said. It's it's in comparison to the next issue, which I think is absolutely an A. But I think this is a B plus. Okay. The interior art, I'm pretty much in agreement with the way you described it. I do think uh, Buckler did a nice job of storytelling. I think uh, I do. I get a kick out of the Starro walking out of the water uh, shot. I just, <laughs> but. Uh, over, overall, you know, again, some interesting angles, you know, some non-conventional looks at some people. Uh, I think it's it's really solid. Uh, I'm going to say a B-plus on the uh, artwork inside as well. And the story, you got to get by the silliness of the premise, but once you do, it's it's a pretty good story. It's 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 kind of like, you know, you, almost like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers kind of thing. And it yeah. builds up to that, which I think is really cool. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go all around B plus on this and give it a B plus. Cool. Yeah, that I panel you were talking about on page eleven, that looks like the fat kid that just pissed his pants is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got something in those pants. <laughs> I think we have enough time to squeeze in another book. Okay. So I brought uh, Justice League number one seventy three. Uh, has a, a pretty famous cover of uh, Superman looking to induct Black, Black Lightning into the league. And uh, Black Lightning is saying, with that jive bunch of turkeys in the JLA, forget it. Because behind Superman, we have uh, a Big Monkey Woman, uh, Lack of Detail Man, and the Squire of Gathos. And uh, Superman <laughs> is, you know... I, on the cover overall, I don't feel like anybody looks all that great on of the league players. I think Black Lightning looks very good. I think Superman looks a little stiff, and the other three just I, I just don't like the character designs on them. And then the background showing it shows a thrift store and a rug stores, and I guess it's supposed to be kind of Black Lightning's inner city that they're showing us there. It's not a bad cover. I just think it could be so much better. Um, 
This book came out in December of 1979. It's written by Jerry Conway. It's the art is by Scott's favorite, Dick Dillon, along with Frank McLaughlin. <laughs> uh, the lettering is by Ben Oda, colored by Jerry Serpy, and edited by Ross Andrew. The story opens up with a uh, with the league, a splash page of the league on a rooftop, looking down, watching Black Lightning as he's taking care of a gang of four guys who are robbing a pawn shop. They're running out with bags with money literally falling out of them. Uh, it's obviously a very, very well-to-do pawn shop. And Black, Black Lightning uh, subdues these the, these robbers. And what's called Green Lantern is championing championing Black Lightning to become a, a member of the uh, League. And uh, he says, uh, I met him a few months back when I trailed a crook here to Metropolis. He's what we need, troops. Cool, smart, brave, and black. So he's, he's, he's letting his uh, liberalism get, the, get a hold of him. Meanwhile, the Flash is getting angry, saying that, you know, he's suggesting him as a token. Uh, they, they write off Flash's arguments against that, saying, well, since his wife died, he's a little unreasonable. Uh, which, I, I don't know that he's being un so unreasonable. If the reason they're letting him into the League is because he's black, that's a good way to get him killed. You, you get him into the League because he's qualified, that's a different matter. Anyway, the two of them are ready to come to blows over it, but everybody calms him down. Superman suggests that he's got a way of uh, testing him. We cut to a little interlude with some uh, the regulator who's kind of... Uh, working with the vermin in the city. Black Lightning meets with Inspector Henderson, who I kind of feel was never used well enough in the comics. And he's, he's talking his jive talk to try and make himself sound street to the inspector, which is bothering him because he's actually a uh, high school teacher and he's well-educated. As he's walking away, he's attacked by uh, was a big monkey woman and uh, lack of detail man. And he exposes both of them and gives them over to the police, who observes something that's not quite right about them. Then we cut to another interview with the vermin guy who's getting rats to attack the facility. Back to uh, Black Lightning, who gets attacked by an invisible man. And there's a, a scene in there, you know, uh, another splash page where he's fighting with the guy and just kind of getting beaten up until uh, the Squire of Gathos comes out disposes of very quickly and then he reveals himself to be the green arrow with a very cheap mask and wig on and they tell him that they uh, that he's passed the test and that they welcome him into the league he says whoa, whoa 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 who wants to join the league I appreciate the offer folks but this hero's got enough work here in suicide slump I can't go flashing off with you guys and you just better get yourself another boy and he leaves, and then we cut to just the aftermath of the Regulator and his vermin and what they did, and next issue, the Sinister Secret of the Regulator. I kind of like this, and I think we could probably talk for hours if we wanted to about the, uh, you know, the whole aspect of, you know, a token black and, you know, trying to meet a quota instead of trying to find the best guy. 
And eventually they do settle for trying to find, you know, trying to make sure he is the best guy for you let him in. Instead of just letting him in because he's black. You know. But I, I think we can go on and on about that. Uh, overall, it's kind of a simple story when you think about it. It's a little preachy. It's got a little bit of the, he's black on the right side and I'm black on the white, on the, on the left. Can't you see the difference? <laughs> but a little, little of that feel about it as far as, you know, them beating you over the head with it. Uh, and the whole aspect of them taking on these other identities and attacking him just just seems wrong on so many levels. First of all, the identities they take are stupid. Second of all, you know, what gives them the right to just attack this guy? <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, I mean, all sorts of damage can be done. It's very, very irresponsible of them as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, at one point it was like uh, when, when he had the Green Arrow down, you know, that he... he was choking him out and, and could have killed him. And, and Green Arrow's like, Whoa, I know you weren't going to do that. I know I had nothing to worry about. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, how <laughs> did how did you know that exactly? a fit of rage. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's... The premise is a little stupid as far as that goes because I don't think it's something... And this is Superman's idea, by the way, to do this. I, I, I don't really sign off on that. Uh, it it reminds me of when, when in the Avengers when uh, they were considering Spider-Man as a member, and they said, "Yes, just go capture the Hulk, and if you do, we'll make you a member." <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's all right. I think the artwork is you know it's your typical Dick Dillon. It's it's to me it's good, but it's not great. Uh, there's there's some some shots which I think are very good, some shots which aren't so good. Storytelling is competent. It's you know there's no problems there. Yeah, there's not a lot that's dynamic. Although there's a couple of shots, I do think uh, there's a couple of decent shots. I do, I think Dick Dillon did do better sometimes with street level superheroes. Uh, he wasn't really as good on the cosmic stuff. I think the splash page is pretty sharp of them all looking down. I like the way everybody looks on the splash except the Green Lantern. I don't like his pose. It looks like he's ready to fall off the edge of the building. Right. Um, and I don't like the way the, the street gang that, that's robbing the pawn shop looks. They're, they're just a little too quaffed for me. Um, but overall, I think the artwork is, is fairly... It, it's it's competent. It's decent. It's, it's not great, but I think it's good. Um, and the story, you know, it's a little silly, but it's, you know, it, it's passable. What do you think? I hadn't read this one in a long, long time, but I've had this issue for uh, for years. I, it was fun to dig it back out and take a look at it again. It, it's interesting. It doesn't ma- it doesn't seem to matter if it's Marvel or if it's DC, but if it was a black street hero or just a black street character from around this time, then everybody's either a turkey or a sucker. I just uh, it just cracks me up that that apparently that is. Uh, that that street talk, you know, what passes for street talk in uh, the the late seventies, early eighties in in comic books, it just cracks me up. I mean, I don't know what words I expect them to use, but uh, I don't know, turkey just <laughs> that cracks me up. Well, what what I like about that is that it's you know it's it's white guys writing black dialogue, <laughs> right? But it's black dialogue that's supposed to be coming out from a guy who isn't really street. And is trying to pretend to be street. 
So for that reason, it doesn't bother me as much. Right. Like, and, and it never bothers me. When, when when I read like the old Luke Cage issues, it doesn't bother me that he that he talks in a way that people probably really didn't talk. It, it's I find it amusing. In this, I find it amusing on a different level because it's not just the writer who's potentially misinterpreting the way people speak, but the character, and I like that better. Right. You know, because because he's he is. He's an educated, more sophisticated guy who's trying to bring it down to a more simplistic level. And he even says, you know, what is it? Sometimes the street jive makes my jaw ache, but I suppose it's <laughs> necessary as a blind. Yawn, I better get home. I've got to be at Lincoln High tomorrow to mimeograph a history test. <laughs> you know, so they, they make, well, mimeograph back then. That's what you would do. So I, I, I think the, the, the dialogue plays a little better because of that. Well, a lot of my notes on this one really had more to do with kind of the, the tropes of the time rather than the specific issue, but uh, I'd forgotten that pre the George Perez makeover just how ugly Zatanna's outfit is, because that, that outfit is terrible. I, I don't know what, what they were going for with that. I, I really like the, the Perez remake a, a, a heck of a lot better than this one. Well, they were trying to make it more superhero-y. Right. Um, you know, and they failed. I noticed that Superman seems like Superboy, you know, looks a lot like Superboy throughout the issue. Particularly that really bad panel. Oh, God, what page was it here? I'm trying to find it real quick. But there's a panel where he's flying. Oh, here it is. It's on page 12, the second panel. For yeah, one, he's it looks like... incredibly barrel-chested. Yeah, it, it looks like he's had a horrible back injury or something. But, uh, yeah, he really looks like... To me, he looks more like Superboy from, like, Legion of Superheroes than Superman. Uh, he's just drawn a bit... Uh, I don't know, he looks very young and, uh, and and more, you know, just skinnier. You know, more like a, like a teenager, you know, like late teens or whatever. Although he's damn chunky on uh, that very last page, the top panel. I just noticed that one where uh, <laughs> the Squire Agathos is pointing at him, essentially. Um, I was like green, uh, yeah, green, black lightning's outfit and his power set and everything. It's just... The, the the characterization of him never really connected with me somehow, but I always thought he, he was a cool-looking character and, uh, and had a cool power set and everything. I understand they've done some interesting things with him in modern times, but I just, I can, off the top of my head, I can't really think of a, of a Black Lightning story I ever thought was all that great, other than there was a crossover with Superman in Black Lightning, the very first Black Lightning series, that wasn't too bad, where, uh, for some reason or other, I can't remember why Black Lightning, uh, was beaten up on Jimmy Olsen, and essentially Superman shows up at the end of one of the issues, and it's like, okay, that's my pal, and I'm gonna whoop your ass, and I always thought that was we, pretty We cool. covered that issue, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think we did, yeah, I think you're right. Um... Yeah, not really too much else on this issue. I am surprised, looking through this, that this art's a lot better than I remember Frank McLaughlin, I mean, um, um, Dick Dillon to be, and I'm wondering if it's the Frank McLaughlin inks on this, because the inks are pretty strong throughout this whole issue. I mean, and again, I don't, I don't hate Dick Dillon, I just never really cottoned to him all that much, but this isn't bad. I mean, 
it's not my preferred style, but it's it's not as off-putting as I remember it to be, which I know is not exactly glowing praise, but it, it, it's not bad. So, yeah. But this, this one was fun. This uh, just kind of brought back some fun memories. I hadn't seen this one in a long time. And that ape woman is just disturbing on all kinds of levels. I, I think what disturbs me the most about it is that Chris Honeywell would probably hit that. <laughs> uh, you know what, what I found on, on a more serious level than that? What I, what I found a little disturbing is that's Zatanna right. playing that role. Right. So Zatanna doesn't have any physical superpowers. So why is she going down and disguising herself as this ape woman, woman and then getting into a fight with him where she's going to probably seriously get hurt? Right. You know, like, you know, I understand them disguising themselves so that they, he can't tell who they are, as stupid as it is. But, you know, do it in a way where you're not taking your life into your own hands. <laughs> yeah. I agree. You know, Green Arrow almost got killed. You know, it's it's just a, you know a little, little poor poor planning. You know, that's all. Is it just me, or is there something just really, really bizarre and actually kind of laughable about the fact that you know you've got all these heroes up on this roof watching Black Lightning, and you know, for one thing, they're like the super cops of the universe. But then also Superman is there, you know, just crouched on this on this rooftop watching all this. And it's like, is this really the best use of Superman's time? Just hanging out with these idiots up on top of this building watching Black Lightning bust up a robbery? It just, I don't know, it cracks me up. Every time yeah, I see things true. like this, I can't help but think of, you know, all the the people in peril and all the lives that are being lost while he's doing something mundane like this. It just cracks me up. Well, I guess he can't can't be on on duty all the time. Although he kind of is, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. What, yeah, you know, it's, it's all a little forced to get to the, the point where they're at. But I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I can't even explain. <laughs> not a bad one, though. No, it, it's you know, it's it's the uh, it's DC trying to get into the Bronze Age, is what it is. Right. In, I really in 1979. I really do like some of the close-ups of Black Lightning uh, in his mask. Because on page 14 and uh, and page 15 too, there's a couple of really nice close-ups. Because I like the I like the white. It's almost mm -hmm. like half of a uh, what do they call those? Uh, is it a Kabuki mask? It's almost like half of a Kabuki mask, if you know what I, what I mean. And I really that like that. I, I think the only thing that bothers me is that... Now, granted, he doesn't have, in this issue anyway, he doesn't have the big-ass fro like he would get. Because sometimes they'd make his fro just friggin' ridiculous. This one's not like that. But it's still... You know, it, it's still very dated in, in the fact that it is still kind of a, a poofy fro. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he wear... I think he wore a wig, didn't he? This isn't really his yes. natural hair, yes, right? I, yeah. Yeah. So I think if he if he was going with more of a you know more of like a like a high and tight like a flat top or something that that would look really sharp. But I, I do like. But then, uh, but you, I don't know if you can wear a flat top wig. What, what's that? 
So I don't know if you can wear a flex. No, I mean, just, well, it, it would have to be his regular hair, I guess. I, I guess the reason he did the fro is he was trying to, you know, differentiate, differentiate himself from, uh, what was his name? Thomas Jefferson or something like that? Jeff Thomerson or something like that. Wasn't it some, t it was some sort of take on Thomas Jefferson, wasn't it? His, his secret identity? I'm going to tell you in a second. I'm not going to... I'm not going to uh, venture in the world. It was something Jefferson, I think. Jefferson Pierce. Pierce, that was it. Yeah, I knew it had president's names in it. Yeah, that was it, Jefferson Pierce. Yeah, so I, I mean, I know he was trying to differentiate himself from, you know, from his secret identity, but still the, <laughs> the fro thing is just, I don't know, maybe it's just now, you know. I, I don't know if it was ridiculous then, but now it just it just seems really silly. I don't think it seemed so back then, to the best of my recollection. Yeah, I, I don't I mean, know. I remember, I remember seeing the comic back then, and I don't remember it standing out as being silly, so I'll, I'll go with the thought that it wasn't, that it was more in, in step with what the style was at that time. Well, you know, it occurs to me that rather than trying to again, differentiate himself from his secret identity. So in his secret identity, you know, he's a school teacher, he's, he's well-spoken, he's learned and everything. So the characterization he's going with of Black Lightning is he's, he's street and he talks like a street. Well, why doesn't he just do more of a, more of a, you know, the, the strong silent type and just not say anything or, or keep his dialogue, you know, be Batman-like and just keep his dialogue to a minimum. Why does he have to go with the with the street talk as some sort of, you know, thing that's going to, to set him apart from his secret identity? I just think that's kind of, that's that's a little silly too, but I don't know. I think that could be fun though. Sign of the times, I guess. You know, if you if you were that at that time and you got to say, oh, you turkey, you jive ball, <laughs> blah, 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 you know, that, that would be fun. <laughs> I would, I would, I would emulate a. If, if that were me, I would be constantly talking, like trying to talk like Fred Sanford. <laughs> hey, you big dummy! Get out of the way before I hit you with some light. I mean, yeah, it's funny, it, but it's funny up until you run into that black fan that wants to kick your ass for you know for for writing this racial shit, you know. So I don't know. Yeah, I can't it's blame funny. them necessarily, but you know, it's. I'll let them work that out. It would have been really interesting to see uh, a crossover between uh, Black Lightning and Luke Cage from from around this era. I think that could have been that could have been a hell of a lot of fun, especially yeah, if Black Lightning ended up owing Luke Cage twenty dollars. That would have been that would have been <laughs> fantastic. Here's my money, honey. Yeah, we're getting to a whole nother level there. <laughs> Right, you want to read it? Uh, yeah. Uh, cover, as I said when we started with it, I, I think it's a very memorable cover, and I don't think it's a, you know, it's a bad. I don't think it's bad conceptually, but I think everybody except for Black Lightning is kind of poorly drawn. So I'm gonna say, just based on the concept, I'm gonna bump it up slightly, and I'm gonna give it a C plus. But I, I would probably give it a C or a C minus, if not for the concept being kind of. Uh, the interior art, I 
I kind of stick by what I said. It's it's good. It's competent. It tells the story well, but it's not what it could be. So I'm gonna say a B minus on the interior world. and the story. It's it's fun and it's giving a message of some sort. Uh, it's just a little too heavy-handed in the way it's do- giving the message, and the plan is just kind of dumb. So I'm going to say uh, C plus on the interior story, and I'm going to give the book a C plus overall. I don't think we're too far off here. Um, I do not like the cover. Uh, most of my issues with the cover, for one, uh, the three losers, the the jive turkeys, they are flat ridiculous. They are completely ridiculous. You've, you've essentially got like the Cavalier or whatever uh, Green Arrow is going for. You've got the Radioactive Man. And then, did you ever read any of uh, Garth Ennis's Punisher run? The, the Max series stuff? Yeah. So there was a, a storyline where there was a, a mobster. He was this real tough enforcer type guy that that worked for like one of the the crime bosses and he was drawn to look like basically like evil jack kirby and he ends up getting killed in some brutal horrible way and then there was another story a little bit later on where his sister uh comes into the story and she looks exactly like him but just you know with boobs basically but she's I mean, hideous woman because she's she looks just like her her brother who looked like Jack Kirby essentially. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but that's who the ape no, woman reminds me of. The ape woman in, on this cover totally reminds me of that character, and that cracks me up. Um, Superman looks like he basically looks like Black Lightning is talking to a standee of Superman instead of actually Superman yeah. standing right there. Uh, but honestly, my, my biggest problem with the cover is the coloring. I just These color choices add up to a really ugly cover. You've got yellow, you've got brown. It's just, yeah, it's just not visual. It doesn't visually appeal to me at all. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking with this. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go a, uh, I think I'm going to go a C minus on the cover. I, I'm just, I'm really not crazy about it. Although I do, I do think, Black Lightning looks pretty good, but he's he's really the only one that looks really good. Strangely, Superman looks more Ross Andrew to me than Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano. I don't know why, but he really looks like... I really was surprised to find that this is not a Ross Andrew cover, because I thought it was. Um, interior art, I'm actually I'm really pleasantly surprised by how much better this is than, uh, than how I remembered it or how I expected it to be, because I just never have had a high opinion of Dick Dillon, but I I rather like the art in the interior on this, so I, I have to kind of reassess. There's some wonky bits. Um, one of my biggest issues with, with uh, Dick Dillon is how characters in flight often look. He does that bent back thing with them uh, a little too much to where they seriously look like they've, they've had some horrible spine injury or something. There's not a lot of it in this one, but there is some, especially with Superman in that one panel. But overall, it, it's a lot better than I than I remembered and a lot better than I expected, and I really like some of the close-ups. So 
Art-wise, uh, I, I think I'm going to go a. Uh, I think we're going to go a B on the art. It's it's actually pretty decent. And story-wise, I'm just going to go middle of the road C on this. I, I don't think it's anything to write home about. I don't really think I don't think it's horrible either. It's just it's kind of story-wise, this is a, a pretty much what I expected. You know, it's it's kind of silly, it's kind of dopey, but it's fun, and you know, it goes from A to B to C. That's about the kindest thing I can say about it. So you know, not great, but not horrible. So uh, altogether, all averaged out, I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say I thought this was like a like a B plus book. It was fun. I, I got a kick out of it. So that'll do it for our two books, and I guess that'll do it for our second part of our JLA score episode. Sweet. Glad we were able to, to find some time to record together, my friend. Absolutely. It's been a little while, but we, you know. Uh, for anybody listening, we will we all will and are trying to find times when we can actually get together to record. It hasn't been that easy. Lately. No, you know we we have some plans for some episodes coming up that we think everybody will like. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the time to record them. So, in the meanwhile, keep tuning in. We'll keep putting stuff out there. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody, what's up? Dr. Bill in the house. <laughs>